So the Bible reading today is from Matthew, chapter 4, starting at verse 13, and that's on page 968. So if you can turn to page 968, Matthew chapter 4, and this is when Jesus begins to preach and when he calls his first disciples. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother, Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called to them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning all. It's a great privilege to be here to address the congregation of St. Stephen's. Uh, somebody on our prayer network said a note to me saying that uh, that was the first martyr, so I hope I don't get stoned at the end of the, uh, of the session. I'm sure not. Uh, it was about 1994, in fact it was 1994, I was at the back of the church and uh, no disrespect to anyone at the back of the church today, but if the church is full you can't help being up the back of the church, but on this particular occasion I hadn't realised it, but over a number of years my uh, my um, faith in the Lord was still strong, but my actions for his call on my life had diminished somewhat. And uh, I, I hadn't realised I'd become lukewarm. I'd been very much involved in business. And as you know, in, in Mark's Gospel, it talks about the deceitfulness of riches creeping in and choking the word. Some of you can relate to that. I'm sure not from experience, but by observation. And uh, that's probably what had happened to me and I was, I was faithfully involved in the church but not really doing anything. In fact, someone had asked me to give my testimony on one occasion and I felt that every word I said was as dry as dust and uh, if I felt it was bad, I'm sure the congregation had felt it was bad too. And uh, so there I was up the back of the church and Lily Wilkinson, you don't know Lily, she was playing on the grand piano on the platform of this particular congregation and uh, she struck a particular note in a song to the Holy Spirit. It's unusual to have songs to the Holy Spirit, and this was a, a song addressed to the Holy Spirit. And she struck a particular note, and suddenly I felt and heard God's deep disappointment for my life. And it was just an overwhelming sense of deep, deep disappointment. And I immediately just convulsed in tears as my heart was crushed, and I began to weep uncontrollably. 
And it was thankfully a parquet floor, not a carpet. And so there was a pool of about 20 inches wide of my tears and I just couldn't stop crying. And uh, this grief over my sinfulness of ignoring God's call upon my life or letting it fade. And uh, to make matters worse, there was a guy there who was not like the distinguished ushers and deacons that we have here at uh, St. Stephen's. He was dressed with one of those T-shirts that barely covered his belly button and he was wearing thongs and he was handing me fistfuls of tissues and they weren't enough. And, and so this went on and uh, I went home and my wife didn't quite understand what I was going through and I remember going to a barbecue with some of my mates uh, uh, from military college, uh, that time Brigadier Jim Molan now, uh, Senator Jim Molan was conducting a, a, uh, a barbecue over in Holsworthy, I went there and I came back with my wife and almost collapsed on the stairs going up to my house over grief for their souls because I could see the, the deep sense of loss and disconnection from God, some of whom have died since that time, not because of the barbecue I might have, but just <laughs> because of the nature of life. And, uh, and uh, I became very much aware of the fact that people around us are perishing and I got God's heart on this. I probably had just an inkling of how Jesus must have felt when he wept over Jerusalem. And so from one thing led to another, I ended up uh, being invited unusually to preach and and uh, people were greatly affected and uh, quite a number of people came to Christ and I found successively after that uh, that the Lord anointed the words that I had to say. And at more recent times, uh, I was at another uh, congregational setting and the pastor, uh, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, uh, just cried out, raise up the soul winners, raise up the soul winners, raise up the soul winners. And, uh, and I heard that word. And I thought, yes, I want to be one of those soul winners. And so we became involved, I became involved in that congregation. And over a period of about 10 years, we ran 34 Alpha courses, that's three or four a year, and saw hundreds of people come to faith in Jesus, many, many people baptised and transformed. And it was in the latter part of that period that I was called by God into the Anglican Church. And I didn't quite know why. I felt like a shag on the proverbial rock when I went over to St. Paul's. What am I doing here? But one thing led to another and miraculously, again, people started coming to Christ. One of whom during that time was John Laham, who was sitting up the back of the room, uh, following carefully what's being said here. And uh, John himself has been very fruitfully used by the Lord. He, he took a, a, underwent a real repentance in his life and it was wonderfully transformed. You can ask him about it. It's a great story. And uh, there's... A number of uh, sheer God-organised appointments in our relationship over the years. And uh, John is one such person. And uh, I'm mentioning this because when God is at work, he, comes, he starts to work in our lives if we will simply hear what he's saying to us and obey. And one of the problems with church life today is that many often, very often we think that, well, I'm not an evangelist, therefore I will leave it to somebody else to tell others about Jesus. When in fact we all have opportunities if we become skilled at it. But like a lot of things, uh, we often leave the, the skill development and uh, therefore are, are at a loss as to what to say. And that's why we want to reflect on the words of the Lord Jesus this morning. Uh, if I can just get this to work. Um, what button do I press? It's, it's faded a bit here. So uh, let's see. Have I got the right button? <laughs> uh, not that one. No, not that button. Uh, oh, this one's been so well used that... Uh, Everything. I've fouled it up. I've got one of these myself where you can still see the, uh, the directions on it. 
Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll press on while that's being organised because we don't want to distract. And I want to thank Adam for his very careful... Uh, oh, okay. So, so the, the very first words of Jesus to his disciples, as announced uh, in Matthew, were immediately came out of the wilderness. His very first words were, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So that's his number one most important message. But his next most important thing is to get his disciples to do what he's doing, and that is to come to follow him and allow him to make us fishers of men, of women, and of young people. And that's really the, the source of our talk this morning, that we might come to Jesus, follow him, and allow him to make us fishers of men. So let's look at that very first word, come. And uh, that's indicative of the Lord Jesus' invitation to us. If you look at Mark chapter 3, verse 13, it gives us three reasons why he invited or called those who were to be his disciples. And all of us, if I were to say, who's a disciple of Jesus here? I think we'd all put our hands up uh, to say that we're disciples of Jesus. There may be one or two people who have yet to meet the Lord, in which case I'd love to talk to you before you leave. But uh, for the most part, we'd say we're disciples of Jesus. Now, a disciple follows the teaching of the master and the, and the disciple follows exactly the teaching of the master. And uh, it is obedient to the master, is faithful to the master. And so if he, he says, come, that's a tremendous thing to be invited by the Lord of glory, the, the king of the universe, to come and be with him. And in Mark chapter 3, verse 13, it says, it says that he called those whom he would and that they might, first of all, be with him. Notice that, to be with him. Then that they might send them out to preach and to give them authority over all the works of the enemy. So those three things, but the number one thing is to be with him. As we are with Jesus, there is an impartation of great power in our lives. And I'm, I'm mindful of the fact that uh, one young man that I met early in the piece uh, was uh, playing cricket with my son Benjamin in the front yard. And we subsequently got talking about evolution versus creation. And I invited him to come and sit down with me one Wednesday night and just read John's Gospel together. Just the first chapter. And he came over, his name was Peter O'Connor, and he came over and we read John chapter 1. And I said, what did you think of that, Peter? He said, oh, interesting. Would you like to come back next week? We'll do John chapter 2. He said, okay. Came back the next week. And as I was rabbiting on about something deep and meaningful from John chapter 2, lo and behold, the Holy Spirit just fell upon Peter whilst I was talking and interrupted my conversation. And uh, Peter suddenly felt the presence of God and he cried out, my God, you're real. And he sensed the deep disappointment of the Lord for his life and said, I'll never disappoint you again. That was his way of repenting. And when he walked out of there that room that night from my lounge room, he said, I knew I was a Christian. I knew that I knew God. And every doubt had vanished. Now, Peter O'Connor was running an outreach this last Saturday up at Hornsby Heights Baptist Church where he attends and in the Hornsby area, leading people to Jesus on the street. But not only that, in his entire family, his mother, Anne, his sister Jane, his brother Michael, his brother Tim, his father Kevin, and many others beside have come to Jesus. So there's a power at work there that every one of us can tap into if we will answer the invitation of the Lord Jesus and come and be with him. Now one of the ways we come and be with him is we spend some time in prayer. And from time to time, I'm able to, as, as does Dorothy Laidler and others, 
uh, offer opportunities for us to come and pray together. And it's amazing what God will do once you begin to pray. I remember Dorothy uh, praying for a particular person in this congregation, and I've seen vast improvements in that person. We won't say who it was, uh, Dorothy. Might embarrass someone, not, not someone in this congregation. But, but just for the fact of praying, and the opportunities have cropped up. So the very first words of Jesus are come to him. The second, the second word, of course, is to follow me. And when Jesus is talking about following me, he's, he's not talking about following him on Twitter or, or Facebook or the like, albeit that's a popular thing to do these days. I'll know that every, it's funny how these things fade out after a period of time. It's either Instagram and then there are other things that I've never heard of that have suddenly become de rigueur after a while. But, uh, but Jesus was never into that because it was a long time ago and they didn't have that sort of technology. So what he, what he was talking about was actually doing what he did to observe what he did, and he was very much for the, one for the individual. You'll all remember that he had a certain appointment that it says he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. Now, the Bible doesn't say in John chapter 4 why he had to go through Samaria, but I would suggest that his father had told him, there's a woman I want you to meet at the well of Jacob near Sychar in Samaria. The, the, the text doesn't tell us, but we can assume that he had a direction from God the Father and that this poor woman, who had no doubt been ostracised by all the other women in the village, coming along in the middle of the day was going to be there and she was going to meet the Lord of glory. That's how particular Jesus is. Or he had to go through Jericho and he had a name that he was looking up. He knew the individual even though he'd never met him. So when he stepped into Jericho, he was looking for a little guy up a tree named Zacchaeus. And he knew his name. No one had ever told him this. Only his father, by the Holy Spirit, had given him this name. Come down, Zacchaeus. We all remember the Sunday school story. For I must dine at your house today. So when we're following Jesus, just to remember, he is the one for the individual. He homes in on the individual. I, I remember I, I was getting on bus 293, quite uncomfortable about being on a bus and travelling with the great unwashed because for that time I'd been a prosperous management consultant for many years and could afford a car park in the city. But now, under lesser circumstances, in a semi-ministerial role, working with a company in the city but also getting around running Business Alpha Australia-wide, uh, I was forced to use the bus. So here I was, sitting up the front, didn't realise the red seats are only for the disabled. And uh, so I was sitting up at the red seat behind the, uh, the driver and this guy gets on the bus and he's a big guy and he takes up two seats and a lot of mine as well. So my face is pressed to the glass uh, and I'm sort of wondering what to do. And he's got this walking stick and it's sticking into my ribs and I'm, uh, I'm wondering what to do. Anyway, so I thought I'd make conversation. I said, what's the walking stick for? And he said, mind your own business. <laughs> And I, I thought that was a shocking start. <laughs> oh, this is not going to go very far, I thought. And then after a while, he must have relented. This guy must have softened. And he said, uh, well, if you must know, it's cancer. And I just happened to have a, a book in my coat pocket called God's Second Opinion. So very promptly, I pulled this out. And I said to him, look, you need to read this. Uh, it's called God's Second Opinion. He said, get that out of my face. I'm not getting into that stuff. I'm going my own way. And so we continued on in silence from that point. Anyway, over the next couple of days, God would have it, as he spoke to my heart, to make sure that I arranged, made arrangements for this man so that every time he got on the, on, the, on the bus he had to sit next to me because I reserved a seat. I remember one grey-headed pensioner didn't like it because, as I said, this is reserved for, a, for a, uh, an invalid man. She said, well, 
she went off in a huff saying, I'm a pensioner, as if to say that she was qualified and I wouldn't let her have that seat. But I, I kept it for this man and he sat there. And eventually uh, I, I shared with him I'd been a previously an army officer and that uh, uh, one thing or another. And he knew a lot about military history. In fact, he knew a lot more about military history than I do. And he started to tell me all of the things about Winston Churchill and uh, Eisenhower and Stalin and all those uh, people of the Second World War. He knew a lot more than I did. So I, we got in a conversation. We actually exchanged cards. We became quite chummy. And so I invited him along to Business Alpha at the Wesley Centre. And to my great surprise, he actually was there ahead of me at that lunchtime appointment. In fact, there he was stuffing a party pie into his face when I arrived. <laughs> and uh, I was amazed that he'd even turned up. Have you ever been that? You invited someone to church or something, you've been amazed they actually turned up because so many people don't seem to want to. And he was there and he, he was full on for, his philosophy was a bit like Frank Sinatra's, I'm going my own way, I'm doing my own thing. And uh, anyway, he, he was sitting there in the presentation for this Alpha course and, and uh, he took it all in and there was a talk, talk about Jesus knocking on the door of people's hearts and he, he must have observed that and he was pondering this as he walked down to the Wesley Centre onto Pitt Street, not far from Centrepoint Tower. And uh, suddenly a voice from heaven said to him, Alan, you're going the wrong way. And he said it scared the hell out of him. And immediately he gave his life to Christ. Now, if you've met Alan, he often comes to, to church with me. And uh, when I'm not in town or I'm away on some other assignment, he comes in, gets, gets, into, gets on the train at Macquarie University, comes all the way to Chatswood and walks all the way from Chatswood Station over here to St. Stephen's. Isn't that remarkable? That God would do that. So what I'm trying to say to you is that don't think that I'm anything special. It's the Lord who is special and the Lord whose hand is upon you to bring about special things if you'll follow him. And he's very much for the individual. Now the third point that Jesus makes is that I will make you. The first things are things that we do. We come to him, we follow him. Then he turns it around and he, does, he starts to take action upon us. He says, I will make you. What chance would he have given me in that conversation I had with Alan? No chance at all, because it got off to a very bad start, and yet God reorchestrated that, that he actually intervened. So when he says, I will make you, that it means he makes things happen. He brings things to pass. He will ensure that he intervenes by his Holy Spirit to bring conviction of sin and uh, an understanding of the judgment that will otherwise come, and the need for righteousness, which can only be secured through our Lord Jesus Christ. So isn't it wonderful that God will do that for you? Don't think that I'm anything special. Remember, God wants to wake you up. All you have to do is put your hand up. You'll see it like a lightning rod and they'll hit it faster than you can think twice about it if you put your hand up and you say, I'm not asking for a show of hands here, but if you want to give a show of hands, you're welcome. Uh, I'm saying as soon as you put your hand up, figuratively speaking to the Lord, and you say, Lord, I'm here, use me, then he's going to do that. Remember those famous words from Isaiah chapter 6? Whom shall I send? O Lord, send me. So he will make you fisher of men. And, and the, the final comment here is that you'll see fruit for your labour of love. Jesus said that the labourers are few, therefore pray that God will bring forth labourers into the harvest. And indeed God is doing that as I'll soon illustrate for you. Uh, but those those labourers are going into a harvest that Jesus described is plentiful, or in some versions, plenteous, or in other versions, abundant. The harvest is abundant. 
Just today, I got a note from Lorraine Phillips in, in Herberton. She'd asked us uh, through our WhatsApp link to pray because she was going to have a meeting with her friend Jenny and she wanted to show the little way of life presentation of the gospel uh, to her on the phone. And uh, I'll show you a little bit about that in a minute. And, uh, and so Jenny came over and this was the comment from Lorraine. If you just give me a moment, I'll, I'll bring up the message. And uh, it was just, just outstanding. I was sharing it with Matt a little bit earlier. And, and what she said was that she said that Jenny came over, she showed her the way of life presentation of the gospel and she uh, saw that the Lord had saved her, repented in tears and accepted Jesus into her life. How wonderful. Now, that just doesn't happen automatically. There's a lot of prayer involved in that. There's a lot that's going on, but praise God for that wonderful work. And we're finding we're getting such good reports from people even going out on the streets. I took a group of young people out on the streets in Cranbourne. I don't suppose any of you know really where Cranbourne is. It's in Victoria. This is Lighthouse Christian College, the students. Some of the students came out with us and are all wearing our fashionable green T-shirts, The Way of Life. And it seemed uh, that... That didn't get in the way. It was a cold day. In fact, it was so cold the wind was cutting us in half like a knife. Uh, that didn't stop these young people. They went out and anyone they could talk to, they were showing on their mobile phones uh, the way of life presentation. And out of 25 presentations of the gospel, 13 people prayed the sinner's prayer. And I'm hearing all over the nation that there is a, there's a new awakening taking place. There's an openness amongst people that uh, many of us have been conned by the devil into thinking doesn't exist, but actually it's there. Now they're the words of the Lord Jesus, come, follow me, and what will he do? I will make you fishers of men. And uh, I've been involved in the process of helping people bring others to Jesus, but a very motivating circumstance has been the, the, the plebiscite, and following on from the plebiscite that took place last year, the Barnabas Fund has uh, developed this document called Turn the Tried, Reclaiming Religious Freedom in Australia. I'd prefer to rename that, Turning the Tide, uh, Reclaiming Australia for Jesus. I prefer to use that because that's really what's going to be the answer. And I'm asking you to consider joining in God's revolution. So whenever God takes over someone's life, there is a revolution of righteousness that takes place in their life and all the outcomes are so wonderfully uh, recorded by us as we observe the work of grace in people's lives from that time on. But the humanist, or shall I say atheist, strategy, which you can see up there on the screen, uh, is fourfold according to this document. Number one, create tolerance of atheist slash humanist ideas that are contrary to the norms, values and beliefs of a Christian heritage society. So create tolerance. The second thing is pressure the authorities and society itself until humanist, that is, atheist beliefs and behaviours are given equality with the pre-existing society that we're involved in. Then number three, reverse the norms and values of society. Reverse them so that Christianity begins to seem foolish, backward, evil and a threat to human progress. Isn't that the way we're being painted? A threat. Sometimes say, if you believe in the devil, I don't believe in him other than the fact that he exists, but I'm, I'm saying that if you believe that there is a devil, people think that you're positively medieval. And uh, so that it's a threat to human progress to have all of these outlandish ideas. 
And then the fourth thing is work to make the previous norms of the formerly Christian society illegal. And that's what we're seeing happening. You know, if I, would, if I was to preach on the sanctity of marriage, I'd be guilty of hate speech. And possibly even locked up these days if I couldn't pay the fines where people institute you know, frivolous lawsuits against people. We know what's going on, it's the devil's work. And we have to be therefore armed against it. So that's one of the reasons why we've adopted the idea of the, the way of life presentation of the gospel. It's not only involved, available on, um, it's also available in hard copy, but you can get hold of this by, if I would just correct the, the registration details at the back here, it's australiaforjesus.org.au forward slash register forward slash. If that's all too deep for you, come and see me, I'll give you a card with it on you, on for you afterwards. Uh, because all of these things confound me. But the way of life is designed to ask someone what is the point of life. And I was walking on the road with uh, my sister, whom I met coincidentally in Melbourne. Not, not that I wouldn't meet her at other occasions, but this was a fairly rare occasion when we were alone. And as we were walking along, uh, I asked her what is the point of life. Now, I didn't pull out my mobile phone straight away and say, what is the point of life? It would have looked too contrived, but I used these questions because I could memorise them. And uh, if we could just go to that presentation, uh, thanks Adam, uh, what is the point of life? And, and she said happiness. Well, that's a nice sounding thing to say. The point of life is happiness. And uh, albeit it is a rather facile reply. And I said, well, what happens to happiness, do you think, when uh, someone dies? And she said, oh, they go to a happy place. Now, I already hear you now questioning the validity of that statement. And I said, well, how do you know that that's the truth? Or do you suppose there's a God that we're meant to relate to and is there a heaven and hell? And she said, well, that's just what we're taught. And I said, okay, well, look, uh, do people automatically go to heaven? And just as an aside, may I say, have you ever been to a funeral where you maybe had an inkling that the individual was not a Christian and had no faith in Christ and was possibly even the worst villain unhung? You might have gone to such a funeral. Sometimes you see these funerals publicised in the newspaper and uh, everyone's behaving reverentially. There are even priests or ministry or clergy around these particular funerals. Uh, but no one is ever saying that the individual is now burning in hell. They never say that. They always make out that the person's in a better place when that may not in fact be the truth. And maybe that person wouldn't be if somehow along the way we got to tell them what the truth was. But anyway, uh, my sister said, uh, well, I hope people go to heaven when they die. This is the same person who said, well, uh, happiness is where you know, they all get, everyone goes to a happy place. She amended her thought by saying, well, maybe, um, maybe they don't all get there. Okay? And I said, well, what about you? Well, if you were to die tonight, now we don't want that to happen, and you were to stand before God and he were to ask you, what should I, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? A purely, purely theoretical situation, of course. And you know what she said? She said, I'd have a, a big long list. And she made this gesture with her hands of all the good things I've done and a very short list of all the bad things I've done, and uh, I'd get in on merit. Now, brothers and sisters, is that true? Oh, oh, I can hear you all saying, no, of course not. And uh, so I was able to reveal to my sister, you know, Marianne, I don't think, you know, I think that it's very important to tell you that I've got some good news, and the good news is that we can't make ourselves good enough for God. And then we went on to share about the kerosene and the cake. You know, the cake looks lovely, Maybe not your direct taste, but it's even worse if it's been doused in kerosene. 
And uh, what about this omelette? It's, uh, it's only got one rotten egg in it. Would, it. would you serve it up to your friends? Would you serve it up to God? And what this illustrates is that people are separated from God. And what do you think that is? And uh, she struggled and I was able to reveal to her that it was sin. And uh, then we went on to talk about how sin brings death. Sin entered the world through one man. Who was that, Adam? <laughs> sin entered the world through one man and death came through sin and death came to all men because all sinned. And then, of course, sin brings judgment. And then that's why you want to do all these good things. That's why you think good things will qualify you for heaven. But unfortunately, they're polluted by sin, just like the kerosene in the cake, just like the rotten egg in the omelette. And where does that leave you? It leaves you in the dark. And so we then move on from there. This presentation we're finding that people are using very readily. And we did actually a bit of a trial run in Chatswood with a particular church. And uh, seven fortnights, over a period of seven fortnights, 140 presentations, and during that time about 45 people prayed the sinner's prayer. And just this last week, uh, there, there's a group in Hornsby, a group in Perth, a group in Atherton, in, uh, sorry, not Atherton, in, in Herberton, a group in Cairns, and a group in, over in uh, uh, Cranbourne. And we're seeing people in, in significant numbers being prepared to pray the sinner's prayer. So that's a very good start to an ongoing discipling relationship. We'll just go back to the people in those T-shirts, if you wouldn't mind. Thanks, Adam. And uh, so we're, we're kidding people out with T-shirts. We're giving them various little tools, like this is an instruction booklet we actually go through at our little mini-seminar. And if you can see the, the gentleman up in the top left-hand corner, I think it's the top left-hand corner, yes, uh, Roger, he, he was very keen to see uh, Aussies come to the Lord. And uh, so all those people, the lady in the middle, even though she doesn't look at it, is in her 70s. And the lady on her right right hand side had never led anyone to the Lord and there, there she is, that's the first person who'd come to Christ and he was prepared to have a photograph taken with her and the other gentleman wearing the extra, extra large t-shirt uh, with her. And I just think that's wonderful because the joy people experience and, and of course we're not, we're, 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 we're working with, can I put it this way, we're working with people not who are bold and out there and very often people who are bold and out there actually put people off. We're working with people who are tender-hearted and actually timid and lacking in confidence and helping them to be effective at bringing others to Jesus. And they're just some of the groups around the place that we've been involved with. And I've just been amazed, amazed at how, how people are coming to Jesus. And we want to certainly see that as a part of a feature of, of St Stephen's. Now, you see this little lady here. Uh, oh, the, light's not, the light doesn't work on that screen. This little lady here with the microphone. And that's my wife, Mary Louise. And uh, she's a very committed Christian. She attends uh, another church for ministry reasons. My, my basis is St. Stephen's. I go all over the country. But I try to fit in both churches. So you can see by the end of Sunday, I've had a fair exposure to things holy and sanctified. And, uh, but, but she would have described herself as timid and lacking in confidence. And she came out on the streets with us just to watch and pray. You ever done that? You want to watch and pray? And, uh, and then, but, but more recently, she's been out on the street just practicing the way of life with people that the Lord would send along. And uh, to my knowledge, it's so far three or four people that she's actually led to Christ. And she's following them up very diligently. I'm just so excited for her because the joy that people experience when they see someone to the Lord. Remember when the disciples came back to meet with Jesus uh, at, the, at the well after he'd been talking to the woman? And they said to him, Master, have some food. He says, I don't need any food. I've had food that you know not of. That's what Jesus is talking about, that joy of bringing someone to Jesus. Now, this young fellow here uh, with his bride, 
uh, is a, attached to the number one commando company and uh, currently going through some surgery, otherwise he would have been here today. And I'd love to play you his, his testimony, but there isn't time. But can I just say that his father-in-law uh, sent him along to see me to, for some business coaching, for some life coaching. And he came along with $170 in his pocket to, to pay me uh, a fee uh, for some just ordinary good fatherly advice. And I shunned the fee and took him to lunch. And since at that time when I was CEO of Bible League, I had an office in the Scots Church in Sydney, I invited him into the Scots Church afterwards because I detected in my discussion with him that he was very low in spiritual ratings. He had a very, very good physical specimen, as you can imagine, a person attached to the number one commando company, can't be a lightweight. And uh, he, was, um, he, he was also very, very mentally alert. And uh, he had everything else in his life together, but couldn't quite understand why, why he was going through ups and downs in his military career. And I said, well, you've rated yourself two out of 10 spiritually on this little measurement thing that I had. And uh, I actually probably would have rated him less than that uh, because he declared himself to be an atheist. So we went in and I showed him the way of life presentation. When we got to the two questions in the way of life presentation, one of them being, do you believe that Jesus could have died for you? Immediately the Holy Spirit fell upon him. And uh, for him, for me, and the Holy Spirit thankfully fell upon me, so I knew what was happening. I was full of joy, but he was terrified. He was, just, he was actually terrified. For a commando to be terrified, you've got to understand that's really quite a moving experience. He's just overcome with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And he, he cried out, what's happening? What's happening? Because he felt it was like the walls of the room were closing in on him. It just, he felt like he'd been called up to the office and given the sack. He felt like he'd been called up to the principal's office at school. All those troubling, brooding experiences all at once. And uh, he said, what's happening to me? What's happening to me? I said, it's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's come to convince you of a sin in your life, of a need for righteousness and the judgment that will otherwise come. And then he said, well, what, what must I do? What must I do? And I said, do you want to receive God's gift of eternal life? He said, I certainly do. And he immediately prayed, invited Jesus into his life there and then. He went from being an atheist to a Christian probably in about a minute and a half, I would think. And uh, we walk, he walked out of the, there and he rang up his wife, Alicia. There she is there. Lovely girl, they're expecting their first child shortly. And, uh, and he, he rang her up and, he, and she detected something was up and she said, well, what's up? And he said, uh, I, I, I think I've become a Christian. And that's exactly what had happened. So she demanded to see me and uh, what, what have you done to my husband? And, and uh, I said, it's the Holy Ghost and, and uh, why, why him and not me? I said, well, your turn is coming. And of course, subsequently she was filled with the Holy Spirit, touched by the Lord. He's been baptised. It's been a wonderful experience for him as he's going on for the Lord. So there we have it, uh, brothers and sisters. We have uh, an opportunity there. If I, does this go any further, by the way, or is that the end of the show? That's the last one. That's why it's not working. So I want to, I want to uh, pray with you and, and ask you from the bottom of my heart, not for my sake, not for St Stephen's sake, not for Graham Wintle's sake, although the Reverend Graham Wintle did ask specifically that I might speak today, and Matt as well, uh, but for Jesus' sake. Jesus, who loved you so much to save you from sin, to draw you out of darkness into his Father's light, to come to him and to follow him and allow him to make you a fisher of men, of women and of young people. Shall we pray? Let's do that. Loving Father, we rejoice together at your call upon our lives that this is a day of good news, 
and we must not keep it to ourselves. And we know the clouds, the threatening clouds of the evil one are on the horizon, but we also know, Lord, that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will raise up a standard against him, and that standard is you, Jesus. So, Lord, we are here today asking that you move our hearts, move the hearts of this congregation, that many will be involved in the seminars and the various things we have planned so that they will become effective soul winners to bring many to Jesus in the days, the months and the years to come here at St Stephen's for the glory of your great name and the salvation of many people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>